0: This morning I want to talk about an ordinary mother. An ordinary mother who is used by an extraordinary God. I want to talk about a humble woman. A humble woman who is often praised. I want to talk about a worshipping woman who is often worshipped. I want to talk about Mary the mother of Jesus. There is perhaps no other woman on earth who is as celebrated as much as Mary. And in fact, although she was a remarkable woman who was chosen by God to birth the Messiah and bring Him into the world, she has been elevated to a position that she would never want to be elevated to. Why? Why does she not want to be elevated? Because she was just an ordinary servant who trusted in her Lord. However, many people throughout the centuries have deified her. Especially in Roman Catholicism. They have put her in a place that she doesn't belong and that she would never want to belong in. Here are some things that the Roman Catholic Church teaches about Mary. First, they call her Saint Mary the Virgin, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and they teach that she is greater than any other saint. She's the greatest of them all. She's believed by Catholics to be the patroness of all humanity. The Roman Catholic teaches that Elizabeth acknowledged her as the mother of God, and so they teach that she is, therefore, the mother of God. They teach that Mary ascended body and soul into heaven, that she never died. They teach that she's the queen of heaven and she sits right next to Jesus. They teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. They teach the immaculate conception of Mary which means that she was free from original sin at the moment of her conception and that she lived a sinless life. And the Catholics teach that she's a co-redemptrix and mediatrix who plays a key role in the salvation of souls. And while we do acknowledge that Mary was an amazing woman who was shown favor and grace by God, I want for a moment just to bring her back down to where she should actually be. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that she is greater than any other saint. And while she was used by God in a tremendous way, Jesus said that the greatest person born by a woman up to that point was who? John the Baptist. Listen to Luke 7 28. I say to you, Jesus is saying, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus says that John the Baptist was the greatest born of a woman up to that point, but even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. And when a woman comes to Jesus in Luke eleven twenty seven 27 and says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. That would have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, Yes, and she is the greatest of them all. But what does he say? In Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, on the contrary, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Was she blessed? Yes, she was. She was blessed. But we need to make sure that she's in the proper place and not to elevate her to a place where even she herself would not want to be placed. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that she's the mother of God. And they take this from Luke one forty three, where Elizabeth says, And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And so they say that since Elizabeth said mother of my Lord, then that means that she is the mother of God because Jesus is God. At least they get the deity of Christ right. (laughs) But Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is the mother of human Jesus. Not the mother of his divine nature. Two natures of Christ. His humanity and his deity. She's not the mother of his deity. She was the mother of his humanity. She can't be the mother of God because God is eternal, right? God is eternal. He was... Never conceived. He has always existed. And so she is not the mother of God. She is the mother of Jesus. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that she ascended into heaven, body, and soul. However, there's no record of this ever in Scripture. In fact, the last time that we see Mary in Scripture is in Acts chapter 1. She's there with believers in the upper room right after the ascension of Jesus. In Acts 1.14 it says, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Her name is never mentioned again in Scripture. And there's no biblical warrant for a, a bodily ascension of Mary. The Roman Catholic Church teaches the perpetual virginity of Mary. However, as Luke just told us in Acts 1.14, those who were with Mary in the upper room were the brothers of Jesus. Who were these men? Who were the brothers of Jesus? Matthew tells us who they were. Matthew says in Matthew 13.55, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So Mary had sons. She had children. An ordinary woman. She also had daughters. Matthew continues on in Matthew 13, 56. And his sisters, are they not all with us? She had daughters. And so the perpetual virginity of Mary is not true. It's not biblical. She was a wife. And she was a mother. Just like any other woman. Just an ordinary woman used by God in a mighty way. The Roman Catholic Church teaches the immaculate conception and sinlessness of Mary. However, she was a sinner just like the rest of us. How do we know? In Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, it's it's called the Magnificat. The Magnificat of Mary, which comes from the Latin word for magnify, which is the first word there in Mary's hymn. And in the hymn, in verse 47, she says, And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. In God, my Savior. Why does she call God her Savior? Because she was a sinner who needed a Savior. If she was sinless, she would not need a Savior, right? But she was a sinner, just like the rest of us, who needed a Savior. Finally, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Mary is a co-redemptrix, and mediatrix who plays a key role in salvation. They even teach that people should pray to Mary. However, the Bible says that Jesus alone is the Redeemer. There is only one Redeemer, it's Christ Himself. Colossians 1, 13-14 says, For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not in Christ and Mary, but in Christ alone we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Christ is our only Redeemer. And Christ is our only Mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Not the man Christ Jesus and his mother. It's Jesus Christ alone. Mary is not a co-redeemer. She is not a mediator for any man. Christ is the only mediator between God and man so what has the Roman Catholic Church done with Mary they have exalted her and they worship her and they put her in a place where she doesn't belong they've put her on the level of God but we must understand who Mary really was Who was Mary? Mary was a humble servant. A humble servant. And that's what I want to show you this morning. I want to show you how this humble woman was used in a mighty way by God. Not because of any merit of her own. Not because of any of her righteousness that she had in and of herself. But because by the grace of God, she chose to submit her life to him as a humble servant. So what kind of servant was she? Well, first, she was a submissive servant. She was a submissive servant. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Mary was not perfect. As I already said, she said in the Magnificat in verse 46 and 47, my soul, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior. She knew that she was a sinner in need of a Savior, and she submitted her life to Him. And when Gabriel shows up to deliver the news that she's going to have a son, what does she do? Well, look at verse 29 of Luke chapter 1. Verse 29. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. What's going on here? An angel appears to her. She's perplexed. And she's terrified because notice in verse 13, Gabriel then has to tell her, do not be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. Gabriel then goes on to tell her that she will conceive in her womb. and She will have a son and she's going to name him Jesus. She must name him Jesus. Look at her next question in verse 34. Look at what it says there. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Gabriel then answers her question and tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. He tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to do this work in her life. She's just the recipient of God's grace. God is going to do this work in her life. Now, let me just pause right here and help you understand what this meant for Mary. At this time, Mary was a young teenager. Some scholars say around 13 years old. Young. She was already betrothed or engaged. To Joseph. Which means the bride price has been paid for her. Mary and Joseph are legally bound to each other as husband and wife. But Joseph has not taken her to live with him. And they have not consummated the marriage. But they are betrothed. They're engaged. Legally. And the only way out of this relationship now is by divorce. It's the only way that they could get out of this relationship. Because they've promised to be wed to each other. They are engaged. They're betrothed. And in about five to six months, people will begin to realize that she's pregnant, right? You can't hide it. They're going to realize she is pregnant, and yet she's not wed to her husband. And she would have to carry around that stigma of being an unwed, pregnant woman. She knows that she's a virgin. Joseph would come to know this as well as an angel had to come and reveal this to him, right, in a dream in a vision but the public wouldn't know this and everyone around her would think that she has been unfaithful to Joseph and that would be the stigma that she would carry around with her and then she would have to tell everyone no 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 you don't understand i am a virgin but i'm pregnant by the holy spirit ha <laughs> good one mary <laughs> Never heard that one before. But it's the truth. And Mary must have had these thoughts running through her mind when Gabriel tells her that she is going to be pregnant. But notice all of the questions that she asks Gabriel throughout this conversation. She doesn't say, well, what are other people going to think, Gabriel? Or I don't know if I can handle the ridicule that I'm going to get from the people. As they come to realize and recognize that that I'm pregnant. And yet I'm not wed to my husband. She doesn't even ask Gabriel, well, what is my husband Joseph going to think? What does she tell the angel? Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. What does she do? She submits to the Lord. And notice what she calls herself there the bondslave of the Lord. That word bondslave in the Greek is dole, and it means a female slave. It's from the form doulos in the Greek. But it's the feminine form. And she says, I am a slave of the Lord. Then she says it again in, in the Magnificat in verse 48. Look at what it says here in verse 48. For he has had regard for the humble state of his what? Bond slave. She recognized that she was a slave of God, a bondservant of God, and she would do whatever God wanted her to do. She was a humble slave of God, and she was ready to be used by Him in whatever capacity He wanted to use her. And if that meant being a mother used by God to bring the Messiah into the world, then may it be done according to God's plan. She was a submissive servant who submitted her life to the Lord to do His will. Second, she was a Scripture-filled servant Not just a submissive servant, but she was a Scripture-filled servant. Mary was a young girl who was filled with the Word of God. Like others in those days, she didn't have her own copy of the Scriptures. She couldn't go home at night and crack a Bible open and begin to read it. She couldn't wake up in the morning and do early morning devotions and, and open a Bible and begin to read the Word of God. The word of God was read in the synagogue. That's where she learned it. She learned it in the the synagogue. Being from a, a Jewish family, her parents would have taken her to the synagogue in Nazareth on a regular basis where she heard the scriptures read. She put herself under the hearing of God's word. And what did she do with those scriptures? She put them in her heart. She put the word of God into her heart. How do we know? Well, after she received the news from Gabriel and then goes to see Elizabeth, who was pregnant at that point, by the way, With John the Baptist. She then breaks out in praise. Mary breaks out in praise. Look at what she says in verse 46. In the Magnificat. Notice what it says there. My soul exalts the Lord. This here is an echo of Psalm 34 verse 2. Which says my soul will make its boast in the Lord. Look at verse 47. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. This sounds a lot like Habakkuk 3.18. Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Look at verse 48. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. This sounds a lot like Hannah's prayer in First 1 Samuel 1:11. 1 "O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant. But will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head." What did Hannah do? Hannah prayed to the Lord, Lord, if you give me the son, I will give the son back to you. Hannah's prayer is, look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant. Look at what Mary says in verse 48, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. She goes on in verse 48, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. This sounds a lot like Leah in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 13 when she says, happy am I, for women will call me happy. That word happy in the Hebrew is the word hasher, and it means blessed. Blessed am I, for women will call me blessed. And what does Mary say there in verse 48? For behold, from this time on, generations will count me what? Blessed. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. This sounds a lot like Psalm seventy-one, nineteen. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things O God who is like you who is like you O God no one is like you you are holy you are separate from all others isn't that what Mary says there in verse 49 and holy is your name then in verse 50 You'll see this in some of your translations where it's in all caps. Why is it all in all caps there? Because it's a direct quotation from what? The Old Testament. This is a, a direct quote from Psalm 103, verse 17. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Then she goes on to speak of the history of Israel. She even understood from the scriptures the history of Israel. Her Old Testament scriptures, she understood them, she knew them. Look at what she says in verse 51 He has done mighty deeds with his arm, he has scattered those who were proud. In the thoughts of their heart, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. To who? To Abraham and his descendants forever. She even understood the Abrahamic covenant. This is a woman who even has sound theology. She recognizes and understands the Abrahamic covenant and can see now it's being fulfilled before her very eyes. This is a woman who knew her scriptures, she was filled with the scriptures. And when she breaks out and prays to God in this Magnificat for all that God has done, her praise is biblically sound. It's filled with biblical truth. It's like the hymns that we sing today, right? That's why we sing the hymns, because they're filled with biblically sound praise to God. There's a lot of stuff that's out there that's called worship and praise and it's all centered on man. It's man-centered. But if you look through this Magnificat, what does she do? She centers it all on who? On God. On Him. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For He has regard for the humble state of His bondservant. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation. Towards those who fear him. It's all about him. And that was her praise. That was her worship. That was her heart. Why? Why did she have a heart like that? Because her heart was filled with the word of God. And it was reflected in her words and in her life. What do you think that did for Jesus and for her other children? What do you think she did with them? I'll tell you what she did with them. Turn over to chapter 4 in Luke. Chapter 4 and verse 16 Beginning in verse 14, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And look at verse 16, and he came to where? Nazareth, his hometown, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. What was his custom to do? To go where? To the synagogue. To go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Why? Because his parents took him there. As a young child, they were focused on getting the word of God into their children, and so they went to the the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Whenever the synagogue was open, they were there. It was custom. One commentator says this was an undoubtedly a custom since his childhood. Since the childhood of Christ. And we know that Joseph and Mary were Jews who kept the law. In chapter 2 of Luke we read about Joseph and Mary taking Jesus to the temple on the eighth day to circumcise him. Why? Because that's what God said to do in the law. In his law. Then they came to present Jesus to the Lord and to offer their sacrifice according to the law. They were obedient to the law of God because they knew the law. How did Joseph and Mary do all of this? Because they were taught the word of God and then they lived it out in their life. And then they taught it to their children. They passed it down to their children. And it became custom in their children's life to go and sit under the Word of God. Mary was a faithful servant of God who was filled with the Scriptures And as a mother, she lived according to God's word. She was obedient to God's word. And so, she was a submissive servant and a scripture-filled servant. Finally, number three, she was a steadfast servant. She was a steadfast servant. You see, life was hard for Mary. Life was hard for her. Growing up in Nazareth, Nazareth was not a well-to-do town. Growing up in Nazareth meant she didn't come from a wealthy family. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, when the days of Mary's purification were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice according to what the law of the Lord said. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They came to bring their sacrifice to the Lord. To offer up a sacrifice to him. Why did they offer up two turtle doves? Well, the normal sacrifice, according to Leviticus 12.6, was a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. So you bring the lamb and then you bring the bird. However, in Leviticus 12, and verse 8, it says that If she could not afford the lamb, then it says that she can offer two turtle doves. What does this tell us about Mary? She couldn't afford the lamb. She was poor. Her and Joseph were poor. She continues to have more children and raise those children And then when Jesus was 30, he left for ministry. He left his hometown of Nazareth. And out he goes for three years to minister to people. Now one of her sons is gone, and she gets to a point where she even thinks that Jesus is beside himself. In Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says, And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people, that would be his own people of his family, heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. Then in verse 31, it says, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Mary and the brothers of Jesus arrived to try and take custody of Jesus because they think he's lost his senses. He's lost his mind. What's happened to Jesus? Why would they think that? Well, what was Jesus doing at this time? He was telling people that He was God, right? He was telling people that He's God and that He could forgive sins. Was Mary perfect? No. She wasn't perfect. Did she have her doubts? Yeah. Did she have her struggles? You bet she did. But Mary never gave up on Jesus. She never gave up on him. And eventually she came to recognize the truth of who he was. The next time that we see Mary in Scripture is at the cross. At the cross where her son is now hanging on the cross. And when Jesus saw her standing next to the apostle John, the disciple that Jesus loved, he said to Mary, Woman, behold your son. Now he doesn't say woman to demean her. That was a way of showing respect then. To call her woman. Some of you maybe have heard me call Sarah woman. (laughs) Sometimes I call her woman, and she calls me man. We do it out of respect and love for each other. That's what Jesus is doing here. Woman, behold your son. He's showing love for her, to care for her. And then he said to the disciple, to John, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his household. John took her into his household. Jesus wanted to make sure that his mother was well taken care of. She poured her life into him. And then she's there at the cross. And think about all that she went through there at the cross. As she watched the soldiers nail her innocent son to a cross. She watched the people mock him as they stood around the cross and were yelling insults and mockery at Jesus. She was there and she witnessed all of that of her own son. And then they pierced his side. And she watched them do that to her son. This was a fulfillment of Simeon's prophecy all the way back in Luke chapter 2 when Simeon said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And then in verse 35, And a sword will pierce even your own soul. You know where that sword pierced her own soul? There at the cross. That was the moment that Mary's heart was pierced as she watched her own son die on that cross. The grief must have overwhelmed her to watch her son die like this. But she knew that at this moment there was nothing that she could do for him as a mother. He was there on that cross as her Savior dying for her sins and the sins of all who would believe in Him. She recognized and realized that He is her Savior. You might be here this morning and you think that Jesus was just a good guy. A good prophet did a lot of good things. But he's not your Savior and he's not your Lord. I'm here to tell you that he is the only Savior and the only Lord. And he came to give you eternal life. If you will repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Because your sin has separated you from Him. Your sin has separated you from God. Your sin has separated you from eternal life. But Jesus came to offer you eternal life. He came to make the payment that you could not pay. He went to a cross and He suffered and He died on that cross. And he took the wrath of God upon him. The wrath of God that is due to all of us. Because we have all sinned against him. But he says, whoever comes to me will not endure that wrath. But he will give you everlasting life. And what you must do is you must repent of your sin, and put your trust in Jesus Christ who died and was buried and rose again on the third day. He's alive today, and He lives, and He offers you hope. He offers you a free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Mary received that gift. Mary knew of that gift. Mary knew that her son was her Savior. Well, we don't see Mary again until after the cross. Until after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. I want to show this to you. In Acts chapter 1, this is right after the ascension of Jesus. The apostles then go back to Jerusalem. They return to Jerusalem. And look at what it says in verse 14. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and His brothers. There she is. There's Mary. And what is she doing? She was continually devoting herself to what? Prayer. To prayer. That word devoted there in the Greek means to busy oneself. To be busily engaged in. To be devoted to What was she busily engaged in? In prayer. Why? Because it showed her devotion to her Savior. And that was her life devotion to God. And then Mary disappears. From the pages of Scripture. She disappears. None of the epistles in the New Testament speak about her. She's gone. She she disappears. Why? Why is this? Because I believe that God wanted us to see her not as a saint that we should worship or a co redeemer that we should pray to, but as a humble servant. That we should model. She was used in a mighty way by God. As she submitted to his will. As she saturated herself in the scriptures. And remained steadfast in her devotion to Christ. Who was Mary? Was she favored by God? Yes she was. By God's grace? Was she blessed by God? Yes, she was. By God's grace? And it wasn't because of her own merits or her own righteousness. It was because of an extraordinary God who chose to use an ordinary woman. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the role model that we have in Scripture of this faithful mother who devoted her life to you, who submitted her entire life to your will. Was she perfect? No. Did she have struggles? Yes. But she was steadfast in her love and devotion to you. Father, she is a a model for all of us. Not just the mothers that are here, but to all of us. Of What we must do. We must submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ that we must saturate ourselves with the Word of God so that we would think biblically in in, in every area of our life and that we would be steadfast, fixed upon you and devoted completely and fully to you. Father, we thank you for her life. We thank you for how you called her how you showed favor to her, how you blessed her. And God, we know it was not because of anything that she had done, but it was because of your grace and your grace alone. Father, I pray that we would learn from her as a model for our lives so that we would be able to live to bring glory and honor to your name. In your name alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.